Join me this morning by opening your Bible to Genesis chapter 49, and today we're going to continue our study, our focus on the curious life of Joseph, the son of Jacob. As we've seen in recent weeks, Joseph was an extraordinary man, and he lived an extraordinary life. The thing, though, that stands out most to me about Joseph was just the fact that he had such strength and peace and joy. He had patience through such a turbulent life. Things in Joseph's life went from the highest highs to the lowest lows. It's amazing how much spiritual health, emotional health, joy that Joseph was able to have. The Bible tells us that Joseph grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Joseph went through a whole season of temptation. Joseph was lied about. He was wrongly accused. He was falsely imprisoned. He was forgotten in prison. And then there was a day that Joseph was promoted from a prisoner with a lifelong sentence to being really the king of Egypt, the second highest ruler in Egypt. All that happened in just one day. And then there was this emotional reunion that Joseph had with his family, the family that had so mistreated him, a family that I'm certain he had very mixed emotions about. As we said, Joseph had the highs and the lows, the highs in Joseph's life higher than anything most of us would ever know, and the lows in his life lower than almost anything any of us would ever know. But through all of this, Joseph was the picture of emotional calm, of spiritual peace. He had this uncanny confidence in every twist and turn, in every hill and valley of the roller coaster ride that was Joseph's life. It's amazing. Now, I may seem a little bit like a broken record because I've pointed this out in every sermon we've preached in this series about Joseph. But you just can't help but say it when you study his life. It is uncanny how he was able to handle so much difficulty, so many highs and lows, and still have the calm, strength, the confidence in the Lord that Joseph clearly had. So what was Joseph's secret? Where did his strength come from? I want us to see that today, but before I show it to you in Scripture, before I show you the answer to that question in Scripture, let me tell you what he did not rely upon. Because I think often we rely on two or three things. We look to two or three things for our joy, for our peace, for our confidence. And, and these are not the true sources of confidence, peace, joy. Uh, so here are some things that Joseph did not rely upon. First of all, he didn't rely upon his past. Uh, Joseph had a difficult past. As I said, a dysfunctional family. Terrible things happened in his family. Joseph didn't have peace because his past was easy or solid or, or even encouraging. Joseph didn't look to his past. Joseph didn't look to his circumstances. I think so often we we look for joy and stability and peace from our circumstances, but Joseph, his circumstances were terrible, much of his life. He was in prison. He was wrongly accused. He was sold as a slave. You know the story. His circumstances certainly were not a source of joy and peace, and they won't be for us either. And he didn't look to his future. Uh, much of his life, his future was so bleak. When he was a slave, there was no 
remedy for that. There was no uh, way for him to be emancipated. He was going to be a slave. And then when he was in prison, there was no escape from prison. In much of his life, when he had this calm assurance and confidence and peace and joy, uh, he had no future and no hope. Joseph, his, his strength, the key to his strength, came from something outside of himself. It wasn't his circumstances, it wasn't his past, it wasn't his future, it was something outside of him. And we saw this uh, taught, really, uh, exposed, really, in the first half of his life when we were reading through those chapters 39 and 40 and 41. Uh, we, we saw the Bible repeatedly say, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. How many times does the Bible say that? The Lord was with Joseph. And there we see the answer. The reason Joseph had such confidence, the reason Joseph had such joy in the midst of adversity is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord became a fountain of hope and health for him. So I want us, I want us to be reminded of that this morning. We've seen it over and over, but I want to turn really to the end of the story. Genesis chapter 49, and I want us to see it uh, taught to us uh, once again, but maybe in a little different way, uh, and, and in a way I think we can embrace and perhaps experience the same kind of peace and confidence and joy uh, that Joseph knew. Genesis 49 is a record of Jacob's blessing of his children. Now, Jacob was Joseph's father. And when we come to this chapter, we're at the very end or near the end of Jacob's life. Jacob knew he was going to die. And so he gathers his sons together and he's going to pronounce a blessing over them. Now, this is something that happened often in the Old Testament. If you read through uh, the historical books of the Old Testament, you'll see Abraham blessing his children. You'll see others blessing their children. What in the world is a blessing? Well, this is something that uh, is, is a unique form of communication. And it's unique because in some ways, it is a father talking to God, praying for his children. But in some ways, it's the father talking to the children. It is unique because in some ways, it is a look back upon the child's life, what the, what the son has done up to this point, and in some ways, it's a look forward to what will happen in their lives in the days to come. In, in some ways, it is prophetic. This is what will happen. But in some days, in some ways, it was aspirational. This is what, son, you should uh, aspire to be and aspire to do. And, and so in the Old Testament, fathers would would bless their children. Th things are different today. We don't give blessings in the same way. But this will be a good study. Maybe sometime soon we'll gather the men and the fathers and grandfathers in our church one weekend and just go through and study the different blessings in the Old Testament because while we don't do this the same way today, there's much we can learn from this. We can still bless our children even if it's not in the same way. I I'll give you just one thing. Uh, men that you, that you learn, fathers, grandfathers, one thing you learn when you do this study of all the blessings in the Old Testament, when that father would bless his children, 
he would in part be talking to his children about God, and he would in part be talking to God about his children. Now, we can do that, right? Men, if you want to bless your children, talk to your children about God. Sit down with them. Have a conversation. Have many conversations. Talk to your children about God and talk to God about your children. This isn't just a one-time event in our lives like it would have been uh, in the Old Testament. This should be something that happens often. Talk to your children about God. Talk to God about your children. That's how we bless. That's one way we bless our children today. Well, this blessing is a long blessing because there were a lot of children. It starts in chapter 49, verse 2, runs all the way through verse 27. This isn't something that Honestly, preachers preach on very often. Ordinarily, when they do, they focus on verses 8 through 12 because that's a passage that really says something prophetic about the Messiah, the coming of Christ, and it's a great passage to preach, preach on. But I want us to look over to verse 22 because here we have about five verses where Jacob talks about Joseph looks back on his life, what he's done so far, looks forward, what may happen in the days to come. I want us to read those verses together. Genesis chapter 49, verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. Now, this is is a metaphor. You really have to slow down when you're reading through this kind of literature in the Old Testament. But here Jacob is saying of Joseph that he is like a vine. He is like a tree that is so fruitful that the limbs, because of the fruit on the limbs, the limbs have, have, uh, have gone down. The weight of the fruit has pulled the limbs down so that passerbys can enjoy the fruit, can benefit from the fruit. And certainly that was true of Joseph's life, right? Everybody around Joseph was blessed because they knew him. Even Potiphar, uh, who owned Joseph as a slave, the Bible says Potiphar was blessed because he knew Joseph. Uh, The warden of the prison that uh, Joseph was uh, thrown into was blessed because he knew Joseph. Pharaoh was blessed because he knew Joseph. The cupbearer, blessed because he knew Joseph. This family, ultimately, because of Joseph's position where God had promoted Joseph, the family was blessed because they knew Joseph. Joseph was like a tree laden with fruit whose limbs have fallen down so all the passerbyers could uh, eat of the fruit. Now look at verse 23. It says, the archers attacked him, shot at him, and were hostile toward him. Again, it's a metaphor Uh, There were no archers, so far as we know, in Joseph's life. So what does this mean? Well, it simply reminds us that Joseph had some enemies. Joseph had some troubles. Who were the archers in Joseph's life? Well, it would have been his brothers, sold him into slavery. It would have been Potiphar's wife. It would have been Potiphar. It would have been the cupbearer who forgot him. There were some people who were aiming at Joseph. He lived a troubled life. Then look at verse 24. Yet his bow remained steady, and his strong arms were made agile. Let's let's stop there for a moment. This is tricky because it's a mixed metaphor. It changes. So 
In verse 23, the archers were shooting at Joseph. Now, verse 24, Joseph is the one uh, who has the bow. Uh, but just, just hang, hang with this. That's, uh, that's a style of, uh, of Hebrew poetry. We wouldn't say it that way today, but we can still understand it and we can learn something from it. What does it mean now that Joseph, as the archer, metaphorically, that, that as it says here, he was steady with the bow? Well, when an archer would pull back the string in battle, one of the most important things is that he could remain steady, uh, that he wouldn't be so fearful or so angry that he would shake. If you were fearful and angry, uh, you wouldn't be able to get off a good shot. You wouldn't be accurate. But Joseph was a man that even in the most difficult days, uh, it, it seems he wasn't angry. He wasn't fearful. He just had this calm assurance, this confidence in the Lord. As I said, it, it really is uncanny. Uh, look at the next phrase there. It says, and his strong arms were made agile. Uh, Joseph was strong throughout his Throughout his life, he was strong. And he was agile. Uh, this means that he didn't get backed into a corner. He never really faced despair. His circumstances may have been bad. But Joseph never threw his arms up. He never quit. He was agile. He was able to trust the Lord. He had strength. How was Joseph able to have such incredible strength? Where did it come from? Well, Let's continue to read because the next few words will tell us exactly where it came from. It says, middle of verse 24, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. The mighty one of Jacob, that's God. He, he was able to remain steady. He was strong and agile. He had confidence and peace and joy and this calm assurance by the hands of God. It wasn't something that was within Joseph. It wasn't his circumstances. It wasn't the strength of his upbringing. It wasn't his hope for the future. It was his God. His source of strength, the secret in Joseph's life was God. You know, so many people today are telling us that God is no longer relevant. Uh, now we have doctors and medications. We have an abundance of food. Uh, we're able to predict the weather. We're able to cure diseases. We have scientific explanations for all kinds of mysteries. Uh, it seems today that, that God's just not relevant, or at least that's what people say. Listen, we do have drugs, and I'm thankful for that. And we have doctors, and I'm glad there's plenty of food, and, and certainly science is a, is a gift from the Lord. But the world will never give you peace. Drugs, any kind of drug, will never ultimately replace depression when you're wrongly accused, when you're lied about, when you're mistreated. Science, medicine, modern farming will never give you hope when you have been forgotten. God is not irrelevant. We need God, our only source of hope and peace and assurance. Our only chance to live like Joseph lived is the Lord. That's, that's how Joseph was able to do it. And today, thousands of years later, that is still the only way we're able to have this, this peace, joy, and confidence. So 
We see clearly, verse 25, it is by the hand, I'm sorry, verse 24, by the hand of the Lord. I want to continue to read because what we're going to see in the next verse and a half, five words, five descriptions of the Lord, five titles, if, if you will. And, and these five titles are going to tell us something of what Joseph thought of God. This is going to tell us how Joseph related to God. Now, if Joseph gained from God such confidence and such peace, then I want to know, you want to know, how exactly did he see God? How did he relate to God? Well, let's look at these five titles. So again, middle of verse 24, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. That's, that's the first title, the mighty one of Jacob, the one who has provided for my father. Then it says, by the name of the shepherd. He saw God as shepherd. And then it says, the rock of Israel. He saw God as a rock. Verse 25, by the God of your father. That's number four, the God of my father and my father's father who helps you and by the almighty, that's, that's number five, almighty God who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below and blessings of the breasts and the womb. So here, here are the five words, five different ways that Joseph saw God. Let's take a moment and just look at three of those five. Three of them, I think, are very instructive for us. The first one I want you to see is the fact that God is called shepherd. Right there near the end of verse 24, by the name of the shepherd. God is our shepherd. This is the first time that God is called a shepherd in all of the Bible. So far as we know, Nobody had ever thought of God as shepherd uh, before Joseph came along. And maybe they did, they just didn't write it down. But I think this is important. In fact, most of us are familiar with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This becomes the inspiration for what David wrote in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. So what does it mean that Joseph saw God as his shepherd. Well, the primary role of a shepherd was a protector. Uh, The reason you would have shepherds out in the field with the sheep was so that the sheep would be protected. They would be protected from wandering off and going somewhere they shouldn't go. They would be protected from, from people who might come in and steal the sheep. And they would be protected from wild animals. The role of a shepherd was a protector. Joseph saw his God as his protector. When when the enemies were shooting arrows at him, so to speak, uh, when there were lies told about him, when he was in hopeless situations, he didn't fret. He, 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 he He didn't throw up his arms and say, I don't know what to do. This is hopeless. Because he knew that he had a protector that he had a shepherd, and as long as he was with the shepherd, that he would be protected, and he wouldn't be stolen. The wild animals wouldn't consume him. He wouldn't go somewhere that he shouldn't go. He knew he had a protector. He saw God as his shepherd, his shepherd. How does God protect us? You ever wondered that? What does it mean that God is our protector? How does he protect us? Well, uh, perhaps it's another sermon for another day, but 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 let me share three quick things with you. First of all, God protects us through his word, right? 
when I read his word and I, and I learn about his warnings and his commands, God protects me through his word. If I fail to read his word, if I fail to be a student of his word, then I have forfeited perhaps the greatest protection that God offers to me. God also protects us through other people, right? That's why Jesus said the church was so important. That's why everyone should be a part of a church and be connected with people in the church, be in small groups in the church, because we need other Christians around us. God will protect us through other people who will pray for us and hold us accountable and encourage us and pick us up when we're, when we're hurt or angry or broken. And God will protect us through answered prayers. We pray for God's protection. We pray for God's guidance. God protects us through, through answered prayer. So Joseph saw God as his protector, as his shepherd. Now the second title I want you to see here, I think is helpful, is that God is our rock. Now it's interesting, this also is the very first reference like this in all of the Bible. So far as we know, Nobody had ever thought about God as their rock, or at least they didn't write it down if they did. But Joseph, uh, he had such a close walk with the Lord. The Lord is with Joseph, we read. He saw God as his rock. He saw God as that one thing that doesn't change. He saw God as the one thing that is reliable, even if everything else fails. He saw God as the place he could put the anchor of his life God was his rock. When life is crazy, when we don't know which way is up or what's going to happen next, when relationships have failed us, when the future is uncertain, when the doctors, the counselors, the bankers, the employers don't have the answers that we need, God is our rock. He's the one we can run to because we know who he is. We know what his truth is. It doesn't change. We know about his love and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. We can run to him. He is our rock. He is where the anchor holds. And Joseph, through all the ups and downs and uncertainties of his life, he looked to God as his steady rock. And then the the third title I want you to notice of these five is God Almighty. That's right there in verse 25, by and by the mighty one, the mighty, almighty who blesses you. You're familiar likely with the Hebrew word behind the word almighty. In fact, this is, this is the Hebrew word that's behind almost every instance of that word almighty that you find in your Bibles. Uh, the Hebrew word is El Shaddai. You ever heard that? Uh, made famous by a song about 30 years ago that people, I'm sure in this church, every other church, we sang it to death. Great song, uh, El Shaddai. Well, what does that mean, that God is our El Shaddai? Well, it means that God is our nurturer. It means that God is our provider, that he is our sustainer. That when our energy is low, when we don't have enough strength to go on, that God will sustain us, that God will propel us, that God will provide for us. Now you see that just explained in plain language at the end of verse 25. Let's notice that verse again. By the God of your father who helps you 
and by the Almighty who, this is what Almighty God means, who blesses you with blessings from the heavens above, blessings from the deep that lies below, and blessings from the breast and the womb. What he says is he's the one who is the source of all blessings, the blessings from above and below and the blessing, the blessings of, of life. Uh, and, and that's what he's talking about in that last phrase about the breasts and the womb. Uh, God is the sustainer and the provider. I'm, I'm certainly not an expert at this. And as I was reading this week, it's, this is pretty complicated, setting the etymology of the of the word Shaddai, El Shaddai, and other Hebrew words, but, but here's, what I'm, here's what I was able to understand today or, or this week. Uh, the root for the word Shaddai in El Shaddai, if you go to the root word uh, in Hebrew, and if you take the word breast, the, the word that's translated breast here, if you go to the root of that Hebrew word, you find that it's the same root. And here, here's how they would have understood, understood that in those days. Uh, they saw the breast as the, the sustenance for life. When a, when a baby was born, didn't matter if it was a person or a lamb, when a baby was born, for it to survive, it had to have its mother's milk. And, and, and that, that was its sustenance. That was its only hope. That's what kept it going. That's what gave it life. And so God, as our El Shaddai, is our substance. He is our sustenance. He is what gives us life. And so Joseph saw God. Uh, you think about some of the ups and downs of his life, some of the desperate times and how he had such peace. He saw God as his protector, as his rock, and as his sustainer. And that's what made the difference. I really just have one point today. This is not my usual message where, where at this point I'd say there, you know, there are four steps to this or three keys to that. I really just have one point today. When you look behind the curtain in Joseph's life for the secret of his peace, you find one thing, and that's the Lord. Uh, the Lord was the biggest thing in Joseph's life. Uh, the Lord was bigger than his past. He, 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 had, he had a rotten past. He could have complained and griped about his past. He could have blamed his attitude on his past. But for Joseph, the Lord was bigger than his past. For, for Joseph, the Lord was bigger than his circumstances. He didn't whine and complain and bellyache. Life's not fair. Why has this happened? No, for him, the Lord was bigger than his circumstances. And the Lord was bigger than his future. There were times when his future seemed bleak and hopeless, but the Lord was bigger than that. The Lord uh, was bigger than his fears. The Lord was bigger than his problems. The Lord was bigger than his dreams. I, I, I think about how this is expressed in other places in Scripture. The first passage that comes to mind is something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. That's what Joseph did. He sought the Lord. And then all those other things, all those things became secondary. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let other things take care of themselves. Let God take care of other things. He's your protector and your rock and your sustainer. But then also think of a, of a verse in the book of Isaiah. 
And you'll see this on the screen, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Old Testament. When I was uh, just a very young minister, my pastor gave me uh, a book by Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, probably a name you don't know, a, a preacher from a couple of generations ago. Uh, but one of the things uh, that stood out to me about Donald Gray Barnhouse was his understanding of Isaiah 26.3. He preached this verse often. And here's what he would say about it. Look at it again. You keep him, God will keep him, God will keep you in perfect peace. What's perfect peace? Well, 100% peace. Uh, you, you don't worry. You, you, you're not discouraged. You're not in despair. You trust the Lord. You have peace. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him, stayed focused on the Lord because he trusts the Lord. Now, what Barnhouse did is he, he put some numbers in this verse. And, and I think this is a good way of understanding it. So here's how he would say it with his numbers. You keep him in 100% peace. So he took out the word perfect and he put 100%. I think that's, that's okay. You keep him in 100% peace whose mind then is 100% stayed on you because he 100% trusts you. Does that make sense? God will keep you in 100% peace if your mind is 100% stayed on him and you 100% trust him. Well, so then uh, Barnhouse you know, began to tinker with the numbers a little bit. And he said, this would also teach us that God will keep you in 50% peace if your mind is 50% stayed on him because you 50% trust him. And God will give you 10% peace if your mind is 10% stayed on him because you 10% trust him. And Barnhouse's uh, point was that more people live in the 10% than live in the 100%. And one of the reasons why we don't have perfect peace is because our minds are not perfectly stayed on him and we do not completely trust him. I think that's, that's helpful because the secret to Joseph's life was not his circumstances, not his past, his future. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't his strength of character. It, it was that he had perfect peace because he was perfectly focused on the Lord and he 100% trusted him. So, so let's just look at that a moment. Let's start with trust. What does it mean to 100% trust the Lord? Well, we know we're all guilty of sin. Our sin separates us from God. There's not a person on planet Earth not separated from God because of their sin. There's nothing we can do to overcome that sin. People will commit to living a better life, and some, some perhaps will. And they'll follow the rules a little better. They'll be more kind. They'll be more honest. But the truth is there will still be sin in your life and there still has been sin in your life. There is nothing I can do to overcome my sin. But God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. I've sinned. Jesus has not. I deserve death because of my sin. Jesus did not. But Jesus came and he took my death so I could have his life. And if I will trust him alone 
for my forgiveness, for my salvation, for my relationship with the Father. That's where peace comes from. That's the beginning of peace, having trust in Christ, surrendering my life to him. I trust Christ alone. I ask a lot of people about their walk with God. That's just what what pastors do. And people, almost everybody you ask, uh, will say that they have confidence that they're a child of God and they will go to heaven when they die. And so when people say that, I, I acknowledge that's a good thing. I'm glad you have such confidence. But sometimes I'll follow that up with a question about why, why exactly they think that that's true of them. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I, I'm curious and I want to make sure people don't have uh, some wrong information. And oftentimes at that point, people will give their reasoning like this. They will say, I try to live a good life, or I go to church, or I have been baptized, or I read my Bible. Now, all those things are really good things, but the problem with that is that very first word, that pronoun, I. This is what I do, I do, I do. And, and if, that's, if that's all the answer you have, then your trust is not in God, your trust is in you. And if you're trusting you, you deserve death because you have sinned. I deserve death because I have sinned. There has to be a time in our lives when we say, I'm no, no longer going to trust me and I'm going to trust Christ. The reason I know I am a child of God is not because I've been really good at keeping the rules. It's not because I've made some important commitments. It's not because I go to church or I've been baptized. It's because I trust the Lord. And I trust what he's done for me. So the, the pathway to perfect peace starts with trust. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. If you've never put your trust in Christ, please today do that. Trust in Christ alone. Surrender. Turn from your sins. Embrace the things of God. Trust Christ. And if we can help you with that at the church... Uh, send us a text. There, there's a number on the screen. Just text the word minister to that number. One of our ministers will reach out to you today. And we would love to talk to you about how you can embrace, how you can trust the Lord for salvation, for forgiveness, and for perfect peace. Trust the Lord. But there's another part of this. If we're looking for the how-tos, you keep him in perfect peace who's whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you, and then I think the first practical application step is trust the Lord. Trust your life to the Lord. But the second one is this. We must stay our minds. Whatever that means. He says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. What does that mean? Well, some Bibles, instead of saying stayed, will say steadfast. I, um, I did a search for how this word, how the original word behind this word is used uh, throughout the Old Testament. And, it, and here's how it is ordinarily used. It, it is ordinarily used to mean that you have leaned upon something, that you have leaned upon something. I'll give you an example. In Judges chapter 16, Samson, if you know this story, uh, is about to tear down this pagan temple. Uh, and he's going to tear it down by 
by leaning on and pushing over the supports that are holding up the roof. It says, Judges 16, 29, Samson took hold of the two middle pillars supporting the temple and he leaned against them. He leaned against them and they, and they fell. The temple was, was destroyed. You can also see this in Psalm 71, 6. The psalmist said, I have leaned on you, Lord. I have leaned on you from birth. You took me from my mother's womb. My praise is always with you. What are you what he's talking about when he says that we should keep our minds stayed on him is that we should lean on the Lord. What does it mean to lean? I don't want to push the metaphor uh, too far, uh, but I think, there's a, I think there's a good lesson to learn here. I think this is a good uh, teaching picture for us. To lean on something means that, that I transfer some of my weight to an object. For instance, uh, th- this podium here, if I, if I lean on this podium, I am, I am taking some of my weight and I am, and I am I am placing it on this podium. If you lean against the wall, you're taking some of your weight, some of your pressure, and you're, and you're putting it against the wall. You're taking something off you, and you're putting it on some object. That's what you're leaning on. That's what it means to lean. So what does it mean for us to lean on the Lord? Well, it means that life is less about us. It means it's less about our strength, our resources, our figuring out the solution, our solving the problem, our providing the energy. It's not about us. We lean upon the Lord. We take some of the weight of the situation. We take some of the problem that needs to be solved. We take some of our desperation and we, we, we transfer it to the Lord. We lean on the Lord. I really, I really struggle with this. Uh, I'm a problem solver, like a lot of you. That's how I think. Uh, I think that every problem is my problem, and it's up to me to find the solution. How many of you are the same way? I, I think if you were to ask my wife, she would tell you that I am a miserable person to live with when I have a problem I cannot solve. It just... Uh, it just overwhelms me. That's how I think about things. I had a tough problem to handle about a week ago, a week and a half ago now. Not a church-related problem, uh, but a problem, a situation more than a problem. And, and it really had been about a three-week, three-and-a-half-week-long situation, but the last week it really, it really came to a fever pitch, and, and I couldn't handle it. Uh, I worked as hard on this problem, and I mean, nothing, nothing big or scandalous. I'm not trying to be uh, uh, mysterious here, but I, but, but I worked on this uh, problem as hard as I've worked on any problem in, in the last 20 years. Uh, I, I, gave it, I gave it 100%, and I just couldn't handle it. I was physically sick uh, because of this. Now, w- w- what, was, what was the problem? What, what, was, the, what was the cause of, of, of my anxiety and my frustration and, and my struggle with this? Well, because I wasn't leaning on the Lord. I felt like it was my problem or my opportunity, 
and it was 100% me, and I had to do it, and I had to figure it out, and I had to solve it. It's all on me. And I think so many times that's how I approach things in my life. It's all on me. But, but Joseph saw it differently. He leaned upon the Lord. He would give it to the Lord. When I read Joseph's story, it frankly scares me because I know I'm afraid that I wouldn't have handled things as well as Joseph handled it. Uh, when there was oppression that you couldn't fight, when there were false accuse, uh, accusations you couldn't correct, when there was abandonment you couldn't fix, uh, Joseph had so many problems and he handled it so well. And, and I read this story and I, I think I, I wouldn't have handled it so well because I would have been leaning on me, but Joseph leaned upon the Lord. See, I get this whole Isaiah 26.3 formula mixed up. Uh, the scripture says you keep him in 100% peace whose mind is 100% stayed on you because he 100% trusts you. But here's how it's been working in my life. You keep me in 0% peace sometimes because my mind is 100% stayed on me and my ability to handle life because I 100% believe that it's my problem and it's up to me to solve that. I need to lean. I need to learn to lean upon the Lord. I need to take some of the weight off me and give it to the Lord. That's what Joseph did. He leaned on the Lord. You know, there are eight words in the New Testament. Eight words right in a row. Eight words. I think, I think we would all benefit if we learned, if we memorized these eight words because they're the instructions for leaning on the Lord. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all things. Notice that, always, constantly, in everything. We need to rejoice, we need to choose to be joyful, we need to pray, we need to lean upon the Lord for, for our answers, for our strength, for our hope, and we be thankful that we have a relationship with God, we can go to him. What, what would life be like? For those of us who are children of God, we have trusted the Lord for our salvation. What if we now learned, like Joseph learned, to lean upon the Lord? And every minute of every day, we did this joy, prayer, thanksgiving. What if every minute of every day, I said, Lord, I'm choosing joy. Because I know who I am in you. I know that you are my shepherd and my rock and my sustainer. I'm not going to be miserable or angry or fearful. I choose joy. And what if every minute of every day we prayed, God, rescue me. God, give me guidance. Give me strength. Give me resources. Clear the path for me. It's, it's not something I can do. I trust you. I lean on you. I take the weight off me and I place it on you. What if we prayed? like that every moment of every day. And what if we were thankful? God, thank you that I have a father in heaven, a shepherd, a provider, a sustainer that I can lean upon. I'm telling you, if I would do that, I would know the peace of Joseph. And if you would do that as a child of God, you would know the peace of Joseph as well. It's what Joseph did in Genesis. It's what Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. It's what the prophet taught in Isaiah. It's what Paul commanded in Thessalonians. Let us be people who learn to lean upon the Lord. Let me pray. 
Father in heaven, you are our shepherd, our protector. At all times, in all dangers, you, you are our rock. You're dependable and reliable. And you are our sustainer, our provider. Father, in life, too often, we stand on our own two feet. We shoulder our own problems, our own burdens, and we live in fear and frustration. We have no peace, no joy. I pray you will teach me and that you will teach us to lean on you like Joseph leaned on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.